and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. We are back to the book of Revelation today, and we'll be in Revelation chapter 16. We've taken a break for the Christmas season, looking at how God is with us. And as we get back into the book of Revelation, we're kind of seeing how God is setting up the time of judgment at the end of the world when Jesus returns and sin and evil are dealt with once and for all. And one of the things that can kind of happen as we look at uh, God's judgment is we can look at it and we can say, you know, why does it have to be this way? Why is it so strong, so severe? And I think one of the things that we have a tendency to forget is that while God is loving and kind and uh, came to us in the person of Jesus, he's also holy and righteous and sin is a very serious thing. So serious, in fact, that it required the blood of his son to pay for it once and for all. Um, but then there's also the, the side of it where those who, who continue to rebel, continue to fight against God, uh, there's that final judgment. And that's what we see here uh, being set up with these seven bold judgments in Revelation chapter 16. The other thing to remember is that there are things that really, uh, the scriptures say God hates them. In fact, Proverbs chapter 6 says the Lord hates six things. In fact, there are seven detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run to evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and the one who stirs up trouble among brothers. And so there are things that we had just recognized that God, it says the scriptures say he hates these things. He loves us, but he hates these actions because of the harm that they create in the world. Um, and they, they really just go against the mandate that God gave at creation. And so he hates these things. And when we get to Revelation chapter 16, we're, we see that these judgments, they're more significant, more severe, and more intense uh, than anything that has happened in the preceding events, uh, both in world history and within the book of Revelation and the prophecy that's here. The bowls are similar, but not identical to the seven trumpets in Revelation chapter 8 through 11. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in when these events might happen. Uh, when is God going to do this? And I think the, the best answer to that is when he's ready. Um, uh, we, we don't get to know God's timing. We don't get to understand when he's going to do the things he's going to do. He does tell us what he's going to do and why, but he really leaves the when out for us. Um, and so it, it'd be easy to ca get caught up and say, when is this going to happen? But it's better to focus on what is being judged and why is God do it, doing this? Why is God pouring out his wrath? What angers him and requires his judgment? So let me pray and then we'll look at these seven bold judgments together. So, Father, as we come to your scripture this morning, as we come to the, your word, um, particularly this chapter that is a very strong chapter about your judgment, your wrath towards sin, um, I pray that we would be ready to understand that there are things that, uh, that you hate, um, things that, that anger you, the things that cause your heart hurt. And so we want to learn what those things are so that we can stay as far away from them as possible, so that we can live in righteousness. But we also want to understand that you have paid the consequences for the times that we've fallen into these areas and the times that we would fall into these areas again. And so we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you that those of us who have trusted in your son Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we will never face this kind of wrath because it was poured out on your son for us. Uh, 
And so we thank you for uh, the payment, the remission of sin, the newness of life that we have. Uh, I also pray that this, this passage would lead us to uh, seriously contemplate who in our lives needs to hear this message. Um, this message of a righteous God who has hatred for sin, but love for the sinner, love to the point that he would give his only son to save them. So show us those things today in Jesus' name, amen. So start with me in verse one of chapter 16. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured his bowl on the earth and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshiped his image. So if you remember the beast and his image, we've talked about this in a previous chapter, but these painful sores are put on those who have trusted in the mark of the beast. They've trusted in uh, the the beast who is the Antichrist for economic and physical protection. Um, And now what they discover is that the beast cannot provide the security that they're looking for in the face of God's wrath. Um, they're, they've, they put their trust in a world system. They put their trust in a world leader and a religious system uh, that really Satan is behind. And the message that has been offered to them is that they're going to be cared for. They're going to have security. They're going to be looked after. And what we see God doing in these seven bowls is he's removing the trust or challenging the trust that they had in uh idols and things other than him. This sounds a lot like what God does with the plagues of Egypt. Every plague in Egypt was against a specific false god of the Egyptians and what that false god promised to give to the Egyptian people. And so God's going to do a very similar thing here in the book of Revelation, where he's going to um, kind of remove the security, remove the hope that these people have in the false leader that they're following and uh, the idols that they're worshiping. And so they, they have these painful sores is the first bowl that's poured out. And then verse three, the second bowl was poured out and it was poured into the sea. It turned to blood like that of a dead person and all life in the sea died. Now, remember when we read the book of Revelation, we want to look out for words like like or as. It says that the sea was like the blood of a dead person. And so what we're getting from this is that all of the creatures in the sea, uh, for whatever reason, God does something to the sea that causes the creatures of the sea to die and the sea becomes like blood. Um, God causes the sea to be full of death. One of the things that we recognize with God is that there's common grace. God gives to each and every one of us, uh, as, as we shot the announcements, the beauty of the snow, the beauty of the sunshine, the beauty of the mountains, the, the water that we can drink, the air that we can breathe, the food that we can eat. All these things are part of God's common grace to all of humanity. But one of the things that happens here in the book of Revelation is there's uh, a removal of some of God's common grace. The things that we would rely on for life, he begins to take those things away because people have trusted in, rather rather than trusting in the creator, they've put their trust in the creation. And that really goes into the third bowl. And so it says, the third bowl was poured out into the rivers and the springs of water and they became blood. I heard the angel of the waters say, you are just the holy one who was and who is because you have passed judgment on these things because they poured out the blood of the saints and of the prophets. You have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. I heard the altar say, yes, the Lord God, the almighty, true and just are your judgments. And so the third bowl is poured out and fresh water becomes like 
blood. Uh, God causes those who killed the prophets and the saints is the language that's used there. Those who are followers of God who have been set apart and are holy. That's you and me. Um, but those who have given their lives, those who were killed by uh, the beast and the false prophet, um, uh, these people, the Antichrist and the false prophet, these people uh, are, are followed gleefully. If you remember uh, that when, when the two witnesses die, the people rejoice. Uh, they don't want to hear God's message. They want God's message stomped out. And so uh, we see here that fresh water becomes like blood and God causes those who killed the prophets to be without fresh water. The third trumpet, one th- uh, in, in Revelation chapter eight, uh, at the third trumpet, a third of the water became like wor- wormwood. And here with the third bowl judgment, all of the earth's water becomes undrinkable. And the other thing that's said here is that God's wrath is declared fitting and just. This is what people deserve. And that's kind of a scary thing to think about. If each and every one of us got what we deserved from God, um, we would be uh, without salvation. We would be without redemption. We would be without life if God gave each and every one of us what we deserve. But that's where grace comes in for us as followers of Christ, those who have trusted in Jesus' death, burial, and rev- uh, resurrection. We, we now stand in his grace. We stand, instead of receiving what we deserve, we're given mercy. What we deserve is withheld and actually poured out on Jesus. And we have um, what we don't deserve in God's grace. And so, um, but those who rejected this message of mercy and grace, those who reject the forgiveness of Jesus' first coming, uh, they will find themselves in this situation where they are um, struggling to find life, struggling to find what would sustain them. Um, and in many ways, God's common grace is removed. And so the fourth bowl gets poured out. Verse 8, the fourth bowl was poured out onto the sun the S-U-N. It was allowed to scorch the people with fire and the people were scorched by intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over the plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. So there's intense heat from the sun. Uh, When the fourth trumpet happened, again, back in Revelation chapters eight and nine, when that fourth trumpet happened, a third of the sun was darkened. So there was darkness. When the fourth bowl is poured out, in contrast, it causes additional intense heat from the sun. Those who worship worship and rely on nature will be overwhelmed by the foolishness of worshiping the creation over the creator. Um, And one of the things that we recognize is that God has called us to be good stewards of the earth, that we should care for the earth, that we should look after it, that we should um, use what God has given us well, be that our our time, our talent, our treasure, or just our stewarding of the earth that we live on. But to think that we could worship the earth, the world, or that we could reverse the effects of the fall, that would be a fool's errand. And so to, to worship the creation over the creator, like we stand out there and we look at Job's peak, it's absolutely gorgeous. But what that should show us, it should be a mirror of the creator. Uh, so to worship the creation would be to miss the point, to worship the things that we can hold and touch versus the one who created them uh, would be to miss the point. And so God's going to remove, uh, not just remove, but cause those who would worship the creation to actually be sort of tortured by the creation. Um, And then it says that God has the power over these plagues, but the people, they blaspheme the name of God. They actually double down. Uh, They push back against God. They speak ill of his name and they will not repent. They will not change their ways. They will not change their mind in the way that they think and give him glory. So that's the fourth bowl, the sun causing intense heat. 
and people to be scorched by that intense heat. The fifth bowl in verse 10 was poured out on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongue because of their pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. And so this fifth bowl is poured out on the throne of the beast and it says that his kingdom was plunged into darkness. One of the things that uh, we try to find in political security when we go to um, a nation or a group of leaders and we try to find security in that uh, rather than God uh, is it always lets us down. When we go to those places, it always lets us down. And so this is one of those places where people have put their trust in the Antichrist. They put their trust in the false prophet and ultimately they put their trust in Satan, who's behind those two individuals. Um, but a broken world system exists now. Uh, we could put our trust in a political scheme or a wrong religious idea. Um, and ultimately, Satan is behind those things. But what this fifth bowl does is it shows the darkness and it causes excruciating pain. Uh, people are suffering mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, yet they will not repent. Rather than turn from their ways, again, they double down and blame God. Well, the, way, the, the problem with this world is that God set it up wrong. The problem with this world is that God hasn't done enough for us. The problem with this world is that God isn't good, ultimately, is what's being said here. And so we miss the point. We miss the point when we do that. When we blame God, instead of looking at ourselves and seeing our own sin, seeing our own brokenness, seeing the harm that we've brought into the world, uh, that, that's, that's what's happening here. Here. Rather than recognizing the issues with humanity and with uh, fallen angels, we, we then blame God. We speak ill of his name and people will not repent of their works. Uh, they, they speak ill of God and his character and his decrees. And so one of the things is like Pharaoh, their hearts grow harder when God's power is displayed. Um, when, when God's wrath is shown to them, when God's disdain for sin, his hatred of sin is shown to them, rather than repent, their heart grows hard like Pharaoh's did. Um, and so they grow deeper into their sin rather than moving away from it. This is a danger for all of us, uh, that when God shows us the areas where we're missing the mark, that we would um, make excuses, that we would blame others, that we would say the issue is with God and not with us. It's his definition of what's uh, of righteousness that's the problem. My definition is better. Uh, these, these are issues that we could face as well. But that's the fifth bowl. It's poured out on the throne of the beast and his kingdom is plunged into darkness. People are suffering, but they will not repent. Then the sixth bowl was poured out on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. For they are demonic spirits performing signs, who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle of the great day of God the Almighty. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and, and, and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. 
And so this river Euphrates is dried up. That's what happens is this bowl is poured out and the river Euphrates is dried up. Now we've talked about the river Euphrates in previous messages. And one of the things that we saw with that river was that's the river that is uh, the eastern boundary of the promised land. It was also the eastern boundary of the uh, Roman Empire. And so uh, the river is dried up and the kings from the east cross it. And it says the reason that they're crossing this river from the east is because they want to war. They were going to make war against God. And it says they're being led by three unclean spirits. Now remember the, the unholy trinity, uh, these, the dragon being Satan, uh, the beast being the Antichrist, and the false prophet being the one who is leading a false religious system. So you have Satan behind this, but the, his two main uh, voices on earth are going to be through the Antichrist, who is a political leader who is guiding people to trust in him and his system rather than in God and his system. And then you have a religious leader who's elevating uh, the, the Antichrist and t- teaching people to worship him. And so those are the three voices that people are listening to as they uh, cross this river and they assemble at the place called Armageddon. Now, Armageddon, that's a Hebrew word, a compound word that means mountain and a city called uh, Megiddo. It's in the modern day Jezreel Valley. Uh, This valley is in Galilee, north of Jerusalem. Uh, It was described by Napoleon and some other people as the perfect place for a battle. And so they're being gathered to this place where a battle is going to happen. And I think one of the things that's important to recognize is who's in control of these plagues. It says God is in control of this. God is actually setting up the events on earth so that people will have to battle with him. And I think that's true for us as well. Our lives are set up in a way that until we trust him, he sets up the events so that we would come to a place where we would battle him. And in that battle, we would either recognize his power and submit to him and allow him to lead us, or we would continue in our battle against him and find ourselves on the losing side the wrong side of um, the, the wrong side of of, of our, our spiritual need. And so God leads us to that place as well. But he's going to do this in a large way here before the Battle of Armageddon, this huge group of people being brought together, the, the kings of the east. And it also says that these, uh, these three unclean spirits, they're demonic spirits performing signs, and they travel to the kings of the whole world. So this is going to be a battle like nothing that's been seen before, where the world comes to fight against God. But I think the immediate application is where am I at with God? Am I in a place where I'm going to fight against God or am I in a place where I'm going to fight with God? Am I against him or am I for him? That's kind of the question that each of us needs to ask. Then the seventh bowl is poured out into the air. It's poured into the air and a loud voice came from the temple saying, uh, from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. A severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. The great city would be uh, Jerusalem. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence and he gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled, the mountains disappeared, enormous hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell from the sky on people, and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail, because that plague was extremely severe. So uh, the 
seventh bowl is poured into the air. Um, and then Babylon the Great receives the full cup of God's fierce anger. And so this final bowl being poured into the air, it's against the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Satan's influence over the world's operating system is vast and overwhelming. Second Corinthians chapter 4 says that he is the God of this age. First uh, John chapter 5 says that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And so there's a recognition that just sort of the air that we breathe, the air that we live in, is not a good air. Uh, just the, the normal course of events and the normal way that the world operates, the normal way that you and I would operate without God. This is where Roger's going to get into the anatomy of the flesh and our baseline operational system. It's broken. The air that we breathe is broken. The way that we breathe is broken until we come into right relationship with God. But this broken world system is going to be judged at this point. And so it, it's broken because Adam and Eve, they fell into Satan's rebellion, and you and I then fall into that as well. God gave Adam and Eve a creation mandate, and that creation mandate was that they would be fruitful and multiply, and that they would spread his image across the earth. Now, when they trusted Satan, when they went for that lie, and they determined good and evil for themselves, instead of spreading God's image, his perfect image, across the earth, they spread a broken image, and in some ways, a rebellious image uh, across the earth. And we find ourselves in that broken image until we are saved by what Jesus has done for us. But the seventh bowl, the judgments, uh, and all of these bold judgments, they're God's way of sort of picking the final fight and bringing Satan's forces to battle. And again, I think this is important for us to recognize within our own lives that God picks this battle with us as well. He's not going to leave us in uh, unopposed opposition to him and his ways, but instead he's going to oppose us when we're in opposition to him. He's going to bring us to a place of battle. And ultimately, the question that each of us has to ask again is, am I warring against God or am I at peace with him? And the only way that we can be at peace with God is through Jesus' shed blood on our behalf. He brings us us peace. He is the Prince of Peace, and he puts us in a position where we're at one with God, where we're united with him, we're harmonious with him. Instead of being enemies, we become friends. But this final battle, it's a place where those who remain enemies, um, they're going to be brought to their knees. They're going to be removed from God's earth as he redeems it. Very similar to the way that Joshua was called to go into the land and remove evil from the land before the nation could be set up. This is God setting up battle with those who would war against him so that his land can be cleaned, the earth can be purged of evil, and everything can be um, according to his original design. But as we look at this, we kind of want to ask ourselves, what is God judging? What causes him to pour out his righteous indignation? And one of the first things that we saw, it's those who take the mark of the beast and worship his image. Those who would trust in a political worldly system that does not elevate God, that does not seek God and his ways, those who see God's ways as unjust, his character as unfair, and think that they are higher than him. This angers God. Uh, those who would look at God and say, we know better than you. We're just fine without you. In fact, you are unjust. Your character is unfair, and we know better than you. This angers God. This brings him to a place of judgment. It's false testimony. It's a lie about God. It's blasphemy. 
And then we see those who worship the creation rather than the creator. This angers God. Those who would say, those mountains are beautiful. Um, What we can do with creation makes us the most unique, the highest, the best creature on this earth. And we worship the creation rather than the creator. Those who believe that life is found in the finite rather than the infinite love of God. Those who would turn to things that we uh, can use up rather than that which is inexhaustible. Uh, Everything on this earth is going to be used up. But God's love, God's goodness is inexhaustible. And so he wants us to trust him. But when we try to find life in what is finite rather than his infinite love. He says that's worth judging. Those who take delight in harm rather than harm and destruction of God's redeemed family, uh, that angers God. Those who would look at uh, God's people and say, we're going to harm them, that angers him. That brings him to justice, uh, to, to perform justice in those cases. Uh, the other thing that angers God is those who, in spite of their folly of their ways, are hard-hearted enough to blame God rather than, than themselves for the broken state of the world. Um, when we see our lives and we see the brokenness and we blame God rather than seeing our own mistakes, that, that angers him. That's worth judging. Um, Satan angers God, as well as his political pawns and his religious liars, uh, those who would act on, beha- on behalf of a world system that says we don't need God, that angers God. Also, religious systems that say we should elevate our political leaders uh, over God, that, that angers God. And then the last one would be Satan's theft of God's creation mandate um, of blessing. God, God's creation mandate was that we would be a blessing to the people around us. And that is currently turned on its head so that humanity is spiritually blind and dead. And, and instead of blessing each other, we take advantage of each other. And so you look at these bowls and you see what's going on with them. You see the judgment. You see God bringing uh, those who would war against him to this final place of battle. And we understand that that's something that God is going to do in the future. The common question is to ask when, when he's ready uh, in his timing. That is the best answer to that question. It could be real soon. It could be another 500 years, a thousand years. I don't know what God is going to do with his timing on that. Uh, So we don't know when, but we do know why. We do know why he's doing this. And it's because God is opposed to, and he has righteous indignation. He has wrath and hatred towards sin. And sin uh, primarily being two things. One, not recognizing him for who he is and then harming each other because of it. Elevating created things over him and instead of worshiping him as our God and our sustainer and our creator, the lover of our souls, the redeemer of our souls, uh, the the light of life that we trust in, um, turning to something other than him for those, um, God will not stand God will not stand for that. He's going to stand against it. And so one of the things, again, we have to ask ourselves is where am I at in this battle with God? Would I be warring against him or am I at peace with him? And so I do pray that you're at peace with him. I pray that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that you have been saved from the wrath of God, that you've trusted in Jesus' death on the cross, that he has removed sin from your account and he has raised you up holy and righteous. You are at peace with him and no longer an enemy. 
If you are warring with God, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I want you to hear this message. It's kind of a serious one, that God is going to eradicate sin and sinners from the earth. And so that would mean that if you're in opposition to God, if you've not trusted in Jesus, you're in a dangerous spot. But I want you to hear that he loves you, that he's merciful towards you, and he was withholding punishment from you and pouring it out on his son. He's gracious towards you, giving you what you don't deserve. And so I pray that you would hear this message and repent and believe. Don't double down. Don't have a hard heart. Don't push back, but instead hear his love and his grace, but also his righteous judgment of sin. Let me pray with you. Father, today on this, uh, on this new year, I pray that this would be a year where we take a look at the things in our lives and we say, are these things that are in opposition to you? Do I have patterns in my life that are in opposition to you? Uh, are, there, are there battles in my life that exist because uh, I've not sought your will or your ways. Father, are there, are, there, are there those in my life who need to hear this message, this message of grace and mercy, uh, this message of your holiness and your righteousness, but that in your holiness and in your righteousness, there's also tremendous love and forgiveness. So I pray that we would not war against you, God, but instead we'd be at peace with you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.